0: You know, being a pastor's kid um, has a few advantages and a lot of other stuff that come with it, too, Not a, that aren't necessarily advantages. And uh, my, my poor kids got, because they were my kids, got stuck with a lot of extra stuff. Every time we'd go out and I'd be around somebody who I considered to be a very godly man or woman, and my poor kids would say, Hey, what advice do you have for my kids? So they'd sit there politely and listen as uh, they, they would share what's going on. But I remember one guy, we were down in Florida at that time, and uh, we were sitting in a restaurant. I remember he asked say, What advice would you give to my kids? And he said this Know God's will and do it. It was that simple. You know, sometimes you get these long things or whatever. This one was know God's will and do it. And that advice, as I learned with time, and especially even as I study this passage today, not only is the heart of today's passage, but it really is full of wisdom uh, when we look at our lives, especially in days like today when I'm talking about the kind of world that we're living in, when we see the morality of our country on a quick downhill slope that is so different than the things we value and believe in, we need wisdom, how do you walk in these kind of days? And so we're, gonna, we're, we're picking up in Ephesians 5 today, verses 15, And we're in that section of scripture in Ephesians where he talks about our walk. We learned in the very first section about all the blessings we have in Christ and the new creatures we are. Then we learn in this section we should walk in light of that. We saw, first of all, don't walk like the Gentiles walk. Then he says, don't even walk the way you used to walk before you knew Jesus. Pastor Gary took us last week that we're to walk in love. And then we saw that we're to walk in light. And this morning, we move into that section of Ephesians that talks about a walk of wisdom. And that's what we're gonna deal with this morning. The structure of this passage I have in a PowerPoint is really gonna guide our preaching the next few weeks. It's a call to walk in wisdom in verse 15. Then verse 16, he speaks in general how we walk in wisdom. Then verses 17 and 18, he gives us two specifics about how to walk in wisdom. This morning, we're gonna deal with that first specific, and then the next two weeks, we're gonna talk about the second one about how to walk in wisdom. So let's start by reading that passage. I trust you're there. In Ephesians chapter five, verses 15 to 18. He says this, therefore be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is and do not get drunk with wine for that is dissipation but be filled with the Spirit. The message of this passage is very simple. A wise man or a a wise woman makes the most of their time, the most of the opportunity they have because the days are evil. Because of the way that the world system is, and and, and you know what, that was back then. That wasn't just written for like 2,000 years down the road. But, but we see it very clearly in our days that this world system has a tremendously different way of living life than what we believe. How do we walk wise in days like today? We walk wise by making the most of our time, making the most of the opportunity that we have in front of us in days like today. I love the word wise. I've I've always kind of studied wisdom. I had a heart for Proverbs, a heart for wisdom, and a very simple reason. It's because I always felt like I needed more. (laughs) I always felt like, God, I, I need wisdom how to live life here, and so I've always been on this kind of background search and study and looking for wisdom. The word simply means this. It means skill. The word wisdom means skill. It means like being an expert. You know, you you go to court and you hear about expert witnesses. Somebody comes in, they're an expert in this field. Well, wisdom is somebody who's a master of something. They're skillful at something. They're an expert at something. And this is the way that I define wisdom. Wisdom is being an expert artist at living life. Leave that up there for a second, Pete. Let me me break that down. Expert artists. I say they're an expert artist because wisdom is not a science. It's not learning all the facts and then somehow following the rules. That is not wisdom. Wisdom is more like an art. It's something that takes a little bit more than just the facts and the rules following, but there's almost this internal thing that knows how to put all these things together in the right time, in the right way. And not only they're they're an expert artist at living life, wisdom is not about classroom study. Wisdom is not about theology. Wisdom is not getting all your biblical facts straight. Wisdom is about life on the streets. (laughs) It's about how do I live this thing on Monday morning, on Tuesday afternoon, on Wednesday night, throughout the week. The real life encounters that we have. So a wise person is a person who becomes an expert at living life in this ungodly world. They know how at the right time to take the right truth to apply it to the right situation in the right way. That's what wisdom is. And you can kind of study for knowledge, which is a part of getting to the place of wisdom. You can study to get your theology right, but wisdom is something that God gives. It's not something you study yourself into Wisdom is something that God gives. It's God infusing into you by his spirit in that moment on the streets of life the very truth of God's word and how to use it. Actually, which truth applies to this? Which way do you apply it? When's the right time? What's the right way? And so wisdom is that ability to live life like an expert. And that's what it's gonna take. In these ungodly times, it's going to take God's wisdom. And then he moves on in this passage, and he tells us um, just what that, those two pieces of wisdom are that we need. Again, looking at verse 15, therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise Making the most of your time, making the most of your opportunity because the days are evil. So then, here's the first specific do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. That's this morning's message. Second specific and do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. That'll be the next two weeks worth of messages about being filled with the Spirit. So this morning, I want to start with God's will. Verse 17. Do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Now, when we talk about God's will in Scripture... We need to understand that the uh, scripture uses God's will in two different ways. And I'm going to say there's two different aspects to each one of those ways, or maybe another way to say it, it's kind of like there's two sides to the same coin, the heads and the tail. So what I'm going to share with you this morning are the two different ways that God's will is used in scripture and the heads and the tails to each one of those. And I'm gonna call it the decreed will of God and the directed will of God. And we're gonna understand those better in just a few moments. And what I'm gonna say, I'm gonna summarize in a few minutes in a simple chart that I'll put up uh, on the screen for you. So kind of listen, try to follow, and then we'll see it all in a simple chart summarized. First of all, let's talk about the directed will of God. I'm sorry, the decreed will of God. I'm going to start with the decreed will of God. That's what God has ordained. That is God's sovereign will. That is God's supreme will. That is what is going to happen. No man can stop it. Nothing can stop it. It will take place because God has ordained it. We're talking about God's decreed will. And what you're gonna find, the two sides of each coin is very simple. I'm gonna explain it to you right now. I'm gonna talk about the revealed will and the secret will. The revealed will are those that are revealed in scripture to us and God has made known to us in the scripture. And the secret are the ones he did not reveal to us in the scripture. So that's gonna be the two sides of each coin that we're gonna see. The decreed will, there's some things that God has revealed in his word that are gonna happen. The best way to understand those are to understand the covenants that God gave to Abraham, the one he gave to David, the new covenant, and the covenant in Deuteronomy chapter 30. If you can understand those, you understand the heart of God's program for this world. And the details of those are worked out in the prophecies that we see in scriptures. See, a lot of people think prophecies are just a whole bunch of unrelated things we put together to try to figure out what God's gonna do. Actually, prophecies are the particulars on how God's gonna work out the detail of his covenants. And so the first thing in God's revealed will As he has laid out a program for us in scripture of what he is going to do, some of it we've already seen fulfilled. We learn in Acts chapter three that the rest of it will be fulfilled when Jesus returns from heaven. And so the first part of God's will is what he's decreed what's going to happen. The second part is the secret part of his decreed will. The parts that God has not given us the details regarding. Turning your uh, Bibles back to Ephesians chapter 1 verse 11. We looked at this passage before. Earlier on in this study. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 11 says this. Also we've obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to his purpose who works all things after the counsel of his will. He works all things after the counsel of his will. God has ordained what he's gonna do and what he's doing in this world he does in light of what he has willed to happen. Daniel chapter four, verse 35 is a good example of this. He says this, all the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, but he does according to his will in the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth and no one can ward off his hand or say to him, what have you done? Nobody can stop. God from doing what God's going to do, what he's ordained, whether it be in the details of our life or whether it be in the revealed program that we learn through the covenants of scripture. This is where Romans 8:28 comes in. You know, God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. It's God working out his purposes and his detailed will in our life through the different circumstances that come our way. So the first way scripture uses God's will, it's those decreed things that he has ordained that absolutely will come to pass. Now when we talk about his directed will, that's the second way. Those are the things that God has directed his people to to do, and let me finish before you pick up the stones to throw them at me, they may happen or they may not happen. Wait a minute, you tell me part of God's will may not happen? Yeah, I I am telling you that. And the reason for that is because we disobey God so much. (laughs) So let me tell you about his directed will. His directed will the things he's directed us to do, the things he wants us to do, the things he desires for us to do. Bottom line, his revealed directed will is every command in scripture that applies to you and to me. That's God's will. God wants and desires for me to obey his word. And the things he's revealed in his word that he wants me to do. And so we got two examples of it in the scripture today. Two parts of God's will is, uh, is one that we understand. This is a command, an imperative. That we understand what the will of the Lord is. The second one is to be filled. That's an imperative. With the spirit of God. Every command in scripture is God's will for our life. It's what he wants and desires for us. And this covers our attitudes. It covers our actions. It covers our thinking. Every thought captive to the obedience of Jesus has to do with our conversations and our talk, has to do with our practices. It goes on and on. God has revealed in his word the commands on how he wants us to live our life. And that's the revealed part of God's directed will, which could be broken because we don't follow it. Now there's another part that's called the secret part of God's directed will of what he wants for us. And that's the one where most of us spend our time and we seem to ignore the other ones. Where does God want me to go to school? Who does God want me to marry? Where does God want me to work? Where does God want me to live? That's where we spend most of our time when we're thinking about God's will. It's a valid part of it, but it's not the only part of it. And so the question, Acts 16 gives us an example of this. Paul had a vision. God can bring the knowledge of his will to us in many different ways in this way, but this was a vision that appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing and appealing to him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. When he had seen the vision, immediately he sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Here's again. again. He wouldn't have known he was supposed to go to Macedonia because it was revealed in God's word. God spoke to him through a vision to let him know how to, that he, that's where he's supposed to go. So now going back to our text. So this is our four different uh, aspects of God's will. His decreed, which is re- revealed in secret, and his directed, which is revealed in secret. So which one is it? That is in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 17. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Now, we got to remember, this is how we can walk wisely in evil days and make the most of the opportunity. I'm not sure I can pick out one of those four and say this is the part he's talking about. I think every one of them applies, and let me tell you why. First of all, God's decreed, revealed will, which is made up in his covenants, we see him the particulars in the prophecies, that's the future that is yet to come. It's the program that God's working out in this world. Doesn't that give us hope in the midst of difficult days? Doesn't that help you say, you know what, I don't have to be depressed and think the world is just, yeah, the world's going rough right now, but there's a hope, there's a future, God is, Jesus is gonna return, and he's gonna set up a kingdom that's full of righteousness, and he himself will be the king. That's a great hope. This is not the end of the story what's going on now. And whether we keep on going into a a decline morally and spiritually, or whatever God does, we do know at the end, Jesus is returning. And we should be the people who can live with our heads up high and a song in our heart in the midst of these days because we know God's will. We know what he's going to do. We should be people of hope. And that'll carry us in these kind of days. Well, what about his secret decreed will? Don't know those details. You know what that gives me? It gives me assurance in these days. And let me tell you why. I had something happen to me this week, I gotta tell you what, it just—it twisted me on the inside. I woke up in the middle of the night and I was troubled and I was like, oh God, you know what, I, I lost sleep. You don't know how many nights of sleep pastors lose. (laughs) But, you know, so here you are. I'm I'm sitting here and I'm going like this. I'm wrestling. I get up in the morning and this thing is bothering me. The next thing I know, it's controlling me. My insides are all out of sorts. And I'm twisted upside down and inside out. I had a couple friends say, hey, Pat, you know what? Just, you know, get your eyes back on Jesus. The devil's trying to distract you. No matter what I tried, man, it just kept on getting worse. And about 2 o'clock in the afternoon, I said, you know, I got some meetings coming up here soon. (laughs) I can't walk into these meetings like this. And I actually came back here and sat in one of the chairs, and I I just said, God, I I, got to get some perspective here. And as I began to focus my mind on the Lord, he reminded me he's sitting on the throne and that there's nothing that touches my life Without his approval. Didn't we learn that in Job? <laughs> Satan couldn't do a thing to him without the Father's permission. And Romans 8:28 says, God causes all things to come, uh, you know, work together for the good. He works all things after the council's will. I didn't know that was gonna happen. I didn't know that in scripture. I never would have seen it. But you know what? When I began to pray, a comfort and an assurance came to my heart. Even in the midst of the craziness that calmed down my heart because you know what? God allowed this and God's going to use it for my good. And so the fact that while I don't know the details of everything God's working in my life, he does work all things after the counsel of his will. And I can fall back on the assurance of that. And when we're in the midst of days like today and craziness hits us by whatever means it can hit us, which is a... A million and one different ways. When we refocus on a sovereign God who's in control of the details of our life, there can be assurance that it's gonna be okay. What about the directed will of God? So again, I'm just trying to show you. I think every one of these applies when I'm thinking about living in, in day in evil days. How about the fact that God's directed will of his commands are revealed? You know what that gives me? That tells me that's the best possible life I can have. It's the good, it's the perfect, it's the acceptable life before God. There is no better life available to me in these days than obeying God's commands. And to not obey him is to my own hurt, isn't it? <laughs> you disobey God, who's going who's to bear the consequences of that? You know, it's just, so here it is that when I see God's revealed will to me, that he's directed me to live my life a certain way, to have these kind of attitudes, to walk with these kind of actions, to think this way, to talk this way, to practice this way, to go on and on. Now I know what the best possible life is for me in the midst of a world that is upside down. And then finally, the other one. What about God's unrevealed directed will? You know, what what about uh, when we talk about, you know, where do I go to school? And you know what? It isn't necessarily between a choice. It's always between well, I got this beautiful Christian school, and I got this ungodly, worldly, crazy place. You might be deciding between two good schools, or even you know, it isn't always between a believer and non-believer. Should I marry him? Sometimes you got a couple good ones on the table that you've built relationship. Where you're saying, God, I'm not sure where to go with this. What do you want? And what I see is that to seek God for His wisdom in these times really is the wisest way to live in these days. There's principles in His Word that help us think towards and get towards His will. I'm going to talk about that next. But the wisest way to live is to seek Him in the midst of that unrevealed, directed will. So, Here's a chart where I summarize it. His decreed is ordained and it will happen. His revealed, that's in the covenants and the prophecies, that gives me hope. His secret part, that's the details of life, that gives me assurance. When it comes to his directed will, this is what God wants of me, and it may happen. The commands that are revealed, this is the perfect life that I can live. To step outside of those, I do it to my own hurt. The secret part of his directed will, the details of my life, I live a wise life when I seek him for what I need to know from him and where he wants me to go. So brothers and sisters, to live wisely in these days, these days that are ungodly days, we need to know God's will because of the hope it gives, the assurance it gives. It's the perfect life, and it's the wisest way to live. So here, this, this is the question I have to finish with. How do I know what God's will is for my life? You know, um, like I said, some things are clear and revealed and simple. I want to talk about how can we know God's will for my life. Turn to Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and verse 2. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Starts like this. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice. Acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove, that you may discern what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. I'm going to read it uh, now in the New Living Translation. I think it, it captures it. Well, so, says this, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he's done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. You guys do know the heart of worship is not singing songs Singing songs of worship come out of a life that has been totally presented to our Lord to live daily for him. And so worship is a 24 hour, seven day a week experience where I live my life uh, as presented to Jesus and him working through my life and living. So that's worship. Then when we come together to sing, that's what brings life to the worship (laughs) and to the songs. But he continues on in this passage and says this. Peter probably confused it with that. If we can get the second part of that passage back up, maybe we lost it. Ah, oh, there it is. I, I love the way he say this because this is so well said. Don't copy the behavior and the customs of the world but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you'll learn to know God's will, then you'll learn, then you'll learn. See, there's some things that precede knowing and discerning God's will. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. See, the ultimate end, and you can go back to looking into your Bibles now, the ultimate end of this passage in verse 2, when you go to the word after he says, renew your mind, so that, here's the purpose, here's the result of everything that has come before. And so these are things that precede, before we're able to discern God's will. He says, so that you may prove what the will of God is. And what do we know about God's will? It's good, it's acceptable, and it's perfect. So what are the three principles in this passage that precede that so that? The first one is this, in verse one. Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercy of God, present your bodies A living and holy sacrifice. I wanna call it this a blank check. Giving God a blank check with your life. God, here I am. Uh, You know, just like the whole burnt offering was put on the altar, you know, it was burnt up as a representation that the entire life of the one who is making the offering was being entirely given over to God to use for his purposes. And so the first thing we need to do to know God's will is to write God a blank check and say, here's my life, God. Body represents everything that I am here on this earth. It's my earth suit in which my soul and my spirit live. And here I am, Lord, I'm presenting it all to you, it's a blank check, you can do in me and through me whatever you want. So the first thing we need to do is write God a blank check with our life. Here's the problem. Most of us approach God's will like this. God, show me what you want me to do, then I'll decide whether I wanna do it or not. Isn't that the way we do it? Kind of God, you know, show me your will, then he shows it to you, you go, oh, let me think about that, I'm not sure I wanna do that. You know, God, if that was consistent with what I wanted, sure I'd do that, but, you know, and so the first thing we need to do is we need to come to God, because God says this, say yes first, then you'll know what God's will is. We say, God, tell me what you want, then I'll decide whether I'll say yes or not. So the first thing we have to do to be people who are able to discern God's will and to know what he wants for our life is we need to come to him, no strings attached, my entire life is yours, Lord. You can do whatever you want in me and through me. That's the first principle. The second one we see in verse two. And do not be conformed to this world i love what it said something about you know not not buying into the customs and the ways of this world new living translation the the passage literally means this don't let the world squeeze you into its mold you know i kind of think of plato here and here we got we we got the Plato and we got the world. You know, we're like Plato. My mind and my will and my emotions and my thoughts and my ways, and the world is squeezing me. It's constantly putting pressure upon me to squeeze me into this piece of, uh, of Plato that looks just like the world, that thinks like the world, that acts like the world, that talks like the world. And he says, you know what? We need to reject that. We cannot let the world squeeze us into its mold. And the more that the world has squeezed us into the mold, the less likely you're going to be able to discern God's will because you don't think the way that God thinks and the way that his word thinks. Your thinking is driven by the world, by the politicians by the business world, by the psychological world, the culture, sociology, name it, whatever you want to name it. But somehow that has convinced you that's the way life is supposed to be lived, even though you're a believer. And then here's the third one. So first of all, we need to come to God as a blank check. I need to reject the way that the world says things are supposed to be done, but rather I'm to be transformed by the renewing, of my mind, the way I think is to be totally transformed and changed. Now, you know, transformation by the word is a very different thing than getting into the word. There's a lot of people know a lot of Bible verses, they know the Bible, but their thinking hasn't been transformed. At the core of their being, they have not been changed. See, that's what transformation means. You see, they may be that person that has a lot of Bible information and a lot of facts, and I'm getting in the word every day. The question is, is the word getting into you in a way that it's changing you at the core of your being so that the way that you think, the way that you talk, the attitudes you carry, the actions you do, the practices you have have been shaped by God. You see, it's possible for a Christian, they call him carnal Christian in the Bible, to be driven by thinking that's shaped by the world. But the spiritual man and woman, their thinking is shaped by God. And the way they think is driven by God in His Word. See, this is what, what this does now, and because God's Word has been getting in me and it's changing me and transforming me, and the way that I look at life and the way that I think is totally different. Now when I got a decision I have to make, um, now I'm thinking more like God thinks and I'm thinking more like his word thinks and it's easier for me to discern what God wants. See, the problem here is so many Christians, I talked about those who have gotten in the word but the word had not gotten in them. There's a lot of who don't even get in the word. <laughs> no chance of me getting in you And so many Christians do not know this book well enough that they don't have the hope of a future because they don't really know what the future is. And they don't have the assurance that God's in control of everything because they don't understand that he works all things after the counsel of his will. And they don't even know what his commands are and how God wants you to operate in these times because they haven't been in this book long enough and deep enough that this book is now in them long enough and deep enough that now they know what God wants. You following me? Best advice ever received as a young believer came from Pop Reed, a retired pastor who worked with military personnel right outside Camp Pendleton. Me and my three buddies that came to Christ together at that time, we'd go over to his house. Pop Reed, a retired pastor who worked with servicemen Said this: The Spirit of God will never lead contrary to the Word of God. Guys, write that one on your heart. That has saved me so much trouble. "Eh, God told me to do this. I feel it in my heart. I know it. I think. But man, that's not that attitude. Isn't consistent with God's Word. That talk isn't consistent with God's. That way of thinking is not that kind of paradigm. It doesn't fit. You can tell me all you want the Spirit of God led you, but the Spirit of truth will never lead contrary to the word of truth. He's the one that inspired it. And if we can grab on and begin to own this, that the Spirit of God will never lead contrary to the word of God, no matter how deeply you feel it, no matter how deeply you're convinced. If what you are hanging on to is contrary to God's word, it's not the Spirit of God leading you. And the more we know God's word and the more God's word is in control of us, the more it transforms us at the core of our being, the better we'll be able to discern whether this thing in front of me is from God or not. And let me give you two other ways in closing. Prayer. Colossians 1 says this, for this reason also since the day we heard of it, we've not ceased to pray for you and ask that you be filled With the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, you know, so that you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Put it back to the verse before, Pete, if you would. Filled, controlled. Some of I think God wants this. Uh, You know, we're kind of hesitant. You know, when we pray and we don't just say a prayer, but we get in the presence of God and we seek him through prayer, he fills us with the knowledge of his will. It's not something we're kind of hoping and uncertain about. It's something that he gives us certainty about in our hearts as he fills us. Remember, again, this is wisdom. It isn't studied out. It's infused into you by the Spirit of God, and God is infusing into you and me the knowledge of His will in these things with all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And then here's the other one. Proverbs eleven fourteen, where there is no guidance, the people fall, but in abundance of counselors, there's victory. Have you talked to other believers? In fact, when people come to me for counsel regarding an issue, I say, don't just talk to me. <laughs> Scripture says an abundance of counselors. I'm going to bring you one aspect of what God's trying to get to you from Pat Peglow's angle. But when they talk to this person or that person, they're going to hear, and again, a godly person that understand, you know, understand God's ways, they're going to get other angles. And those multitude of counselors help them put the pieces together to be filled with the knowledge of his will. So you wanna know God's will, start with being a blank check. Giving your life to him as a blank check. God, I'm not waiting to hear what you say first, then I'll decide. God, I'm saying yes right now, tell me what you want. The second thing we need to do is reject the world's wisdom. And we need to be transformed by God's word so the way I think changes so I can discern God's will. I need to be praying, saying, God, give me wisdom here. I, you know, sometimes even with a command, I need God to bring back to my mind a command that relates to this or a passage of scripture. Uh, you know, And when maybe it's a principle from God's word that will speak to this decision. Then i got to talk to others and say, this is what I'm sensing God is doing. Do you see it the same way? Are you hearing the same thing as I share my heart with you? This, brothers and sisters, is how we can walk wisely in an ungodly world by knowing God's will and doing it. We'll come back next week, and we've got a second part, and be filled with the Spirit. You know what, guys? I can't do God's will without the Holy Spirit empowerment. So in many ways, these are being linked together. As it is another specific we need to do is be filled with the Word, or be filled with the Spirit, we need to understand to be able to do God's will. I need the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. To do it, so come back next week for part two, and uh, of how you and I can be wise in ungodly days. Father, I bring this before you this morning, and um, I don't know who needed what today, Lord, but I know that this is your truth and it's your word. I know that I need it, and I saw this week, Lord, how you met me as I pulled out of the craziness and the storm that was swirling in my heart. And Lord, as I met with you, you regrouped me and reminded me that there's nothing that touches my life apart from your will. And Lord, you gave me assurance. So Father, I pray who needs hope this morning? Who needs assurance? Who needs to know the best possible life? Who needs wisdom? Father, who needs to present their life to you as a blank check? Who needs to reject the world's wisdom? Father, who needs to let the word of God transform them? Who needs to pray? Who needs to counsel God? I pray you'd speak to them. Lord, we all need something different. We're not cookie cutters. And Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to each one of us where we need to be spoken to today so we can be wiser people in this ungodly world